Hey everyone, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast today. Joe Bonanno, retired out of the FDNY. You might also know him as the American Firehouse Cuisine. He is a chef, retired firefighter. He's in sunny Florida enjoying his retirement, but he's got his own studio where he's whipping up culinary delights that we all want. So, Joe, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. This is pretty cool, right? So it's um, you had reached out a while back. We were playing phone tags, sending texts back and forth. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in sharing the spotlight. That's what this show's all about. Is like bringing attention to other people that are doing good for the fire service. Uh, you're retired. I think you said 21 years out of the FDNY. You moved to Florida. You got your culinary background that we're going to dive into and talk about. You're cooking. You have a cooking show. You do uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, TV appearances and so on. So this is not just some fire department kitchen hobby. This has really turned into uh, a part of who you are. Well, it, it's it started as just being yeah. a regular, you know, uh, firehouse. Not, I, don't even say, I don't want to use the word chef earlier on because later on I went to culinary training, which became the joke in the firehouse because how did you get a book published when you weren't even a you know, and I'll go into that whole story. But, yeah, sure. Uh, I was initially assigned to Engine 319, right. which is a small little local firehouse in Metropolitan Avenue in Queens, and with a bunch of great guys. And, you know, if you're in the fire service, everybody knows there's at least two or three really fantastic cooks in the firehouse. Every and fire. so I, I wasn't actually a cook at all. I mean, when I first was assigned, I just sat there as a probationary fireman, probie, and sat and ate great meals. And I said, wow, this, I, I had no idea this even existed. In the fire service, even though my father was a firefighter for 34 years in the South Bronx in Engine 88. Okay. During the years. But he really never took it home and he never really talked about it that much. Right. Let me make my own decision. When I got to the fire service, it was all new to me. I'm like, wow, they make meals every night and had unbelievably great cooks in that firehouse. <laughs> and it was a smaller place. So we really only had like three to five. It was a three man engine and we ate together. And uh, I just thought it was terrific. But, you know, I was, uh, into working out fitness i just got out of the training academy i wanted to stay fit some of the firefighters that was an older firehouse a lot of guys were in their 40s and 50s you know a little overweight maybe not and i said you know i don't want to end up like that so i started once in a while jumping in and cooking a meal right and i said you know if we're going to make something then i'd like to try to make it a little healthier if you will and uh, without catching the flack from all the firefighters who would make it that was my big joke they were making mashed potatoes for eight people with four sticks of butter in it so that's like yeah well, stick. four sticks of butter heavy cream i mean come on yeah yeah i know but you know <laughs> i didn't want it to i didn't i said i think earlier on i, I understood i could die in line of duty i didn't want to die from injury sustained at the kitchen table yeah right that was my big joke so i said you know I, and i try and you know the fire service and the mentality you have to really kind of gracefully walk into it let me in the kitchen tonight fellas let me see if i can bring out something that tastes all right don't even put the word healthy on it did you have a background in, in any type of cooking before you got there? I know so many guys today walk into the firehouse and they've never cooked a meal in their lives. And then it's, you know, hey, Proby, welcome to the kitchen. You know, let's see your Proby meal. You know, let's get you cooking. And a lot uh, of guys have had to learn how to cook when they get yeah, in. Yeah, in other departments, I think they tell somebody they have to. Yes. But I, in my experience in the New York Fire Department, there usually was always right. a half a dozen guys that were more than willing to jump up. Uh, firefighters who were some trained, some not, some just long-time firehouse cooks. Never had to ask anybody. Never had to assign it to anybody. And I understand right, right. other departments. I understand other departments do do that. Like here, like I said, hey, Proby, it's your turn tonight. Make us something good. So it was more like a graceful thing to jump in. Hey, fellas, you mind if I jump in tonight and maybe make something? And, you know, some bombs, some not so good. Right. And it's all part of the process. Done. All part of the process. And then I uh, then I got uh, transferred to a double house, 305 and 151 on Queens Boulevard. So now you have twice as many guys, twice as, 20, twice as many. I keep using the word guys. It's not politically correct. Twice as many firefighters. So now I'm meeting with 12 yeah, and even more great cooks and, and even more camaraderie sitting with 12. And, the, you know, I mean, that is the. A guy just, I, I watched a video the other day and a firefighter said the uh, the firehouse kitchen is the center of the firehouse universe. And it really is. It's where you end up back after a job. It's where you go talk about the job, talk about your personal problems. It really is the center of the firehouse universe. So, and I, Late I, that's night, one of the early things. mornings. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the things I loved about it. And the meal, of course, too, went some fantastic, really fantastic cooks and some of my best laughs. Anyway, when I got signed to a double house, then I started a little bit more. And then I was seeing more and more firefighters, you know, heart attacks, stuff like that. I, go, nah, I really got to take the wheel a little bit more, at least when I'm working, uh, to prepare in concern for their health, too something delicious. So I practice at home. No, no professional training at all, other than having an Italian grandma. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a big part of the process right there. Are you kidding me? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's sort of in your genes. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, absolutely. A little bit, but listen, I was just average at best. And I'd be the first one to say that. Um, and then, you know, over time you start to experiment, you get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. So, uh, I was get I, I was exercising regularly, and I said, "Let me go get certified as a fitness trainer." So I went to New York University, and I got certified as a fitness trainer. And I was doing a little bit of personal fitness training, and then one day, it's the craziest story. One day, the the learning annex, uh, the new school in Manhattan, was offering a course how to write a cookbook and get it published. Hmm. And I said, "You know what? I'm in between tours in Manhattan. What the heck? You know, I'll take the course on a Saturday morning. Maybe it'll be a few." Nice looking girls in there. There you go. <laughs> Show them my sensitive side. I like to cook. Not <laughs> interested. But but I, I did take it sort of just like, just get the information. You never know. And the reason was, in 1984, a firefighter who was in Engine 58, John Sonino, he wrote the firefighter. The first time anybody wrote a fireman's cookbook, it was the firefighter's cookbook in 1984. Okay. Okay. He writes this book, 5,000 paperback copies, just local recipes he did. Got it together. And he said, I'm just donating all the money to the burn center. It's only going to be four or 5,000 paperback copies. So as fate would have it, uh, Phil Donahue, who had a talk show at the time, was in Chicago. He was moving his studio to New York City. So he asked his producers, you know, how can I warm up, do a show that's going to warm me up to the New York audience because I'm coming from Chicago. What do you think? So one of the producers said, well, New York, People love their fire. And they always see them in the supermarket shop at the stores. And I hear that some of them are really good cooks. And this guy just wrote this little cookbook paperback. Why don't we have him on the show? So they put him on the show. That was 1984. Mm. Put him on the show. And him and about five other firefighters from that, uh, you know, Harlem, uh, was in Harlem, actually, were on the Phil Donahue show. And he was just making basic chicken cutlet parmesan. And while he, he was nervous, so while he was talking to Phil Donahue, the the, the oil burnt and started smoking like crazy. You know, it made like, well, nowadays they call it going viral for that comedy part of the episode. And Phil Donnie was like, you know, listen, fellas, I know you're pretty good cooks, but you better get a hose out of here because, and he said, oh my God, I forgot. But it kind of was like endearing. Moment. That is a, that's a game changing moment right there, right? I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't script it better than that. Yeah. And the way he handled it. Yeah. Phil handled it, it just was, and then, that, then, I don't know if it, nowadays they call it going viral. At that point, everybody wanted to see that show. Right. Uh, everybody, the book ended up going launching onto the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, very cool. Instantly, within weeks, in New York, and once it's on the bestseller list, people buy it because it's on the bestseller list. America loves firefighters, man. You're talking 1984. This is like, you know. I mean, yeah. firefighters were giants back then. They were giant pillars in their communities. People looked up to firefighters. I mean, it was just no, oh, for sure. But I think it was a little bit different. It was a much more of an innocent time back then. Much more blue collar. Much more uh, gritty, if you will. And and people looked to to the fire service as community leaders, as these giants within that that hold the community together, especially in New York City in the in the eighties. That wasn't an easy place. No, in the late, in fact, that's uh, what they call in the, in in the New York City Fire Department. The war years were between 1970, mm -hmm. 1960, 1969 to 1984 was considered the war years. Yeah, and that my father worked in the South Bronx, and the, you know they were doing 30, 40 runs a night. Yeah, and you said he was 88 but, engine. 88 engine. Yeah. Yeah. Right down yeah. the road from 82 engine, where they right. rode before from engine. Yeah, of course, 82. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. so I wanted to ask you then for, for you, the health conscious side of things, when, when was that for you? When did you get hired? What year? 79. 
Okay, so you got hired in 79. You come in as a probie. You're bringing your fitness with you from the academy. You're feeling good about yourself. You're watching four sticks of butter go into the mashed potatoes. You're thinking, I could do a little bit better than this. I want to get a little bit healthy. You are so far ahead of the curve in healthy cooking, especially in a firehouse. Yeah, and even basically health in general because the the health movement, if you really thought it – really started with Arnold Schwarzenegger and bodybuilding. And then the gym started opening up. Then there was chains of gyms, Gold's Gym. I mean, we really started that beginning of the fitness stuff in the, in the country in general. Yes. And then it filtered down into the fire service as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. Of course, there's always going to be a few, you know, old timers that are just totally against it. And they don't care what you, whatever. But, you know, it's, it's a, the more people, it, it works by attraction, not promotion. I never said to anybody, you better get in shape or you're going to, you know, you're going to lose, get a heart attack. I just, as they saw newer and newer guys coming in, in better and better in shape. And then, so they kind of got on board a little sure. by little bit, the treadmill. And, it, you know, it's, it's for their benefit. It works by attraction, not promotions. And I never tried to promote it to anybody. And yes, there's always time to make, yeah, listen, I cooked on Thanksgiving. I cooked on Christmas. We're not going to make a salad for, for Thanksgiving. That's right. That's right. We're not having salad on, on Christmas Eve. We're doing prime rib, right? Like, you know. Yeah, right. And dessert. Yeah. Dessert, right. Yeah. Right. So did you fall? So what part of it then was it, was it the actual cooking or was it what came along with that? The camaraderie, the kitchen, what was it that really pushed you into that next gear to really dive in on, on cooking? It was, it was for partly that I wanted to control what I was eating. And if I yeah. just sat and ate what everybody else ate. So in other words, I was not eating them. I would eat on my own, mm-hmm. which I was having chicken and brown rice and salad and they were eating now you have 11 firefighters eating together and I have to kind of be on the side. And I didn't like that. So I said, if I, if I'm going to be part of the meal, I guess I got to make the meal. So when I worked, not often in the very beginning, uh, cause you know, you, you can't push anybody. You're not going to push a senior man out of the kitchen. No, but you, know, so you, I, I just, you bring up such an incredible point though, because so many de- so many departments have gotten away from cooking a meal together because everybody has different ter- different dietary needs now, right? And so, yes, right, right. Vegan I mean, and, and uh, you were doing chicken and brown rice and broccoli, and these guys are doing enchiladas, uh, tacos, uh, pasta, right. you know, and so oh, on. Right. So, yeah. And but what happens though is then you get some of that separation. We start to lose what the kitchen's all about when we start to separate. We don't all, you know. Not everybody's in on meal together. Not everybody's breaking bread together at the same time now, right? It's like, I got to heat my stuff up over here. You're doing yours. There's something about the camaraderie that comes along with when everybody's on the same page. And I I love your approach is I can take this same meal you guys are eating, but let me just make it a little bit healthier so we feel a little bit better about it. And you can be a part of the process then. Yes, that's exactly. That's exactly how I tried to approach it. So I jumped in once in a while. You know what I mean? And then as you get a little bit of a better reputation or the crew happens to be younger and fit, they're like, yeah, you got the, you know, you got the wheel joint to do whatever you want. We're, 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 all, we're all in, we're all about it, you know? And then they would listen and you treat yourself too, even though you're trying to keep fit, right? A senior firefighter was a great cook. I'm like, you yeah. make a tuna casserole, I'm in, all in, yeah. you know, whatever. So how this led to a book yeah, it's the craziest part of the story. And if you if you ever had anybody on you, anybody listening to your show that's from engine two seventy three and one lot of one twenty nine in Flushing Queens are probably pulling the air out because they're like they couldn't believe that this even happened to me because I took the course, like not even with the, the purpose of publishing a book. So I sitting. Turns out it's the first time the new school's offering this class. Right. I'm in the class with seventy five people. It's how to publish a cookbook. Mm-hmm. And they're all looking to get published. Right. And I was in some heady company. I mean, they're going around. So the teacher said, well, go around and remember you say your idea for a book. So right away, you could hear them name dropping. They're like, you know, I'm, I was a cook in Switzerland. I've been a cook on cruise ships. I went to the Culinary Academy. I won this kind. I'm like, oh, my God, look at the company. And I'm in a, I'm a firehouse cook. And this, I'm in with this guy's from the Culinary Academy. This guy trained in France, Le Cordon Bleu. Wow. So they get to me. And uh, and they they said and say your idea for a cookbook. So they'd say, listen, I trained in France. I trained on cruise ships. I want to do a French, I don't know, French cookbook. And, and he said, okay, next, 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 next. And I'm like, oh my god, look at the company I'm in. So uh, I just said it the way it was. I go, listen, 
I was a New York, I'm a New York City fireman at that time for 13 years. A firefighter wrote a successful book in 84, but he actually had a triple bypass. God rest his soul, John passed away, but not of the bypass, but years later. Yeah. He was great. He was, he was unbelievable. Great. And so he said, uh, he end, ended up having a triple bypass himself. I don't know due to his cooking, but he never really did anything along the health lines. So that's what I said. I go, I just got certified by New York University in fitness and nutrition. I'm a New York City firefighter. I cook in the firehouse sometimes, try to make healthy meals. I do. If I was going to do a book, I'd do a healthy firehouse cookbook. Teacher lit up. He goes, mention that this afternoon. We have an editor from Hearst Publishing coming in. I'm like, oh, my God. Now he's going to make me mention it in front of a publisher? Yeah, because you're the only one with an original idea. I mean, how many guys can come from the CIA or Johnson & Wales or or, uh, Cordon Bleu and – and pitch their ideas. It's the same freaking thing, man. You had something know, original French, and different. Uh, yeah, French, this Greek, whatever, yeah. you, know, the, you know. And plus, all the people that were there had like stacks of recipes ready. They were ready to publish, man. I had a notebook that I was going to take some girl's phone number down with. That's what I had the notebook for. Not, <laughs> not with recipes on it, you know? That's right. So, That's right. So they go what through the rest do? of the class. Yeah, they go through the rest of the class. Uh, he then he goes into the business end of it, how you do it, make a proposal. But then he goes this afternoon, an editor came in from Hearst Publishing, which is in New York. Harriet Bell, that's the name. She gives the class, and she was as strict as strict could be. She goes, I'm going to open the floor for five minutes. Uh, you have to have a really uh, dynamic proposal letter for us to even get interested in it. And if we're interested, then we, we may may move forward on it. Right. Okay, give five minutes. Floor is open. Everybody hand up. 74 hands up, mine didn't go up. Teacher says, uh, and again, they were doing the same thing. Now they're saying, how high I want to do French cookbook. I want to do Greek cookbook. And she's like, we did six Greek cookbooks last year. There's a dozen out there already. Next. And just that quick next. And, you know, it was like uh, American Idol. She was just chopping people down. Dismissing people. Yeah. Yeah, next, next. And I'm like, and now as they said next, I'm shrinking in my seat like this. So then the, t- the teacher says, thank you, everybody, for coming. Do not be shy if you have a really good idea. Like our fireman, for instance. Joe, would you stand up and say your idea? No way. <laughs> the teacher called you out. Yeah. He's it's the awesome. one that it, it's, all, it's all because yeah. of him. I stood up and I, I said, listen, I've been in New York City. Same story. New York City fireman, 13 years. I cook sometimes as far as I try to make healthy meals. I have a degree in fitness and nutrition. She goes, that is a terrific idea. Would you see me after class? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. The other 75 people, 74 people in the class are ready to strangle me. Of course. But they yeah, had an original I, idea. Yep. So I went up and she said, it was funny. I, I can remember the conversation. To say it was funny. She goes, uh, do you have an agent? I go, agent? I'm a fireman. I have a captain. I have a chief. I have a lieutenant. Awesome. But I, have no, I don't have an agent. She goes, this is how it works. We'll get you an agent on Monday. She'll get a hold of you. You're going to have to put together 10 sample recipes and a proposal. And then we'll look at all of them. And then the agent got a hold of me Monday. And, you know, I, I'll never forget to this day because I was so floored by it and not ready that that weekend I had to think about it. So I was, I remember, I remember I was walking through a mall and I passed the bookstore and I saw a big pile of books in the window with a book on top, our latest book, right? And I go, I can't do this. I never wrote a book before. I don't even the first thing about writing a recipe, you know. And then I said, you know, if I don't do this next year at this time, I'm going to pass the bookstore and there's going to be a pile of books and it's going to be somebody, some other point. Yeah. And a guy that I work with uh, in Ladder 129, Bob Cook, his name was great, great older fireman. And, and I was talking with him about it. And, he, you know, he said, why not? Why not? You just fo- follow it through. You never know what's going to happen. Just follow it through. So I took that advice, put the recipes together, and then they wanted it to be a national appeal. They didn't want it to be a New York, because the other one was New York firemen only. Right. So they wanted it to have national appeal. So they said, Joe, can you get recipes from other firefighters? So at the time, I used Firehouse Magazine. I put an ad in, and I said, uh, you know, attention firefighters across the country. If you're interested in getting a, a recipe, a healthy recipe, in this new book, I've just been contacted. Please send me a recipe. So I got about, I would say I got about 80 Oh, I bet. I was going to say probably more than that. Uh, at that time, you didn't have the internet. And it wasn't so easy to get a hold of people, and so uh, yeah. Now you probably have a zillion. But what year? Internet, what year was this? Nineteen ninety. When I first got approached, it was ninety three. By the time I put the ad in, it was already ninety four. 
So I got about 60, 70, I, and then I did a bunch on my own, stuff that I did on my own, and put it together, and, and the, the winter of 1995, uh, I gave, they took pictures for the cover, and it was, uh, after that, it was, and you know, it was so funny to come back to the fires, because and you get a little bit of comeuppance a little bit because they're like, yo, you, all you make is chicken and brown rice. Why are you going to write a national cook? You get out of here. You can imagine the, the ribbing that went on. Oh, of course. And then they're like, all right, so big deal. You got approached in a class. What do you think? You're going to be on TV or something? And like almost the minute that firefighter said that, the phone rings at the house watch desk. And they go, Joe, it's um, a cooking show. They want to call, They want to talk to you. <laughs> and I said, yeah, we'd like to have you as a guest on the show. And then, but once the book hit, then the publisher takes over and it's right. in their best interest to sell books to get you. Oh, on. yeah. So that's where all the Regis and Good Morning America and the Today Show. And then it was so funny. It starts to take on its own life. Once you're on once, the other networks hear about it and they're like, wait a minute, we can't have him on that show without having him on our show. Yeah, I mean, it's just a great natural story. And when you're talking about morning shows and things like that, I mean, I'm looking on the on the website. You got Regis and Kelly or Regis and Kathy Lee back then um, and so on. Julia Child, I think you you did something with, right? Like when you, when you look at that, like it's just a great story. And and so this is that love of firefighters and everybody. There's just that magic about the firehouse kitchen that even the public knows firefighters eat well. It's a just a great concept. And back then, it hell yeah, man. Like, why wouldn't they bite onto this thing? Yeah, I get it. Well, I, I mean, again, you're you're for them, it's about making money. Of course. And they know with a firefighter on the cover and a New York firefighter. And the guy's physic the guy's in good shape. He's a good looking guy. Yeah, Got a good the, name. The, Doesn't hurt. Yep. And uh so yeah, so it really did well. And then uh it did so well they wanted me to do another one. They did one called the Firehouse Grilling Cookbook, which I did in 1998, 99. And then uh, I have an entire, it's on my website, if they go to it, my 9-11 story. Because of having all this publicity, I mean, do you mind if I talk a little bit about that? Oh, please. I guess this is all about what, you know, please. Yes. Because that's a, a whole uh whole story in itself and i'll try to be as brief as i can about it but the it, the story's on my website it says my terrible 9-11 story uh because of all the publicity then they started asking me to judge contests mm. so ronzoni pasta in new york asked me on 9-11 to uh not on 9-11 actually the summer of 2001 i get a call from a, a more uh uh publicity agency in Manhattan. They go, we're working for Ronzoni. They want to have a fireman cooking contest. And they would like you to go on TV and promote it and also judge the contest. And the winning recipes are going to be served at the New York City Marathon pre-race party. Right. You know, carbohydrate loading. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no problem. I mean, the craziest, you talk about fate and destiny. Uh, the, they called me and they said, Joe, would you like to, um, we'd like you to do this episode. We're going to do it at your firehouse which is at that time was ladder 152. We're going to do it at your firehouse in Queens, ladder 152, square it up with those firefighters and the voices there, which I did. And then they said, all right, uh, we have it on the schedule for um, September 8th at, uh, you're going to be there at like 5, 5.36 in the morning. It'll probably, it's live and you'll be out of there by nine. Okay, no problem. All right, it's all set. So about a week before I get a call from the TV station, and the publicity agency they said listen the tv station doesn't get a really good signal from manhattan into queens because it's a live tv show plus the whole crew has got to come all the way out to queens is there any way you could do it in manhattan and i said sure my brother works used to work at ladder seven so i knew firefighters there. i worked at ladder five on greenwich and, and uh sixth avenue for a while right uh it was right down the road from my brother's fire, so I knew half a dozen of those firefighters. I said, I go, who I know is not, it doesn't matter. I could go into any fires. Of course, they know you're going to know somebody that knows somebody. And I go, it doesn't matter to me. You want to do it in Manhattan? It's easier. Yeah, a little more for me to get in there, but I, whatever. Whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm all in. And they go, the only thing is they can't do it on September 8th. Are you available? You choked up. Are you available the morning of September 11th? Mm. And I said, yeah, 
yeah, no problem. So he says, all right, we're going to switch it. It's going to be at ladder three on 13th and Broadway, morning of September 11th. Who could have ever known that all of that destiny was going to go down that morning, yeah. including myself? To me, it was just, what, what's the difference, the 8th or the 11th? Now it's September 11th, unbelievable uh, mark in time. But at that point, September 8th, September 11th, didn't mean anything to me. Just another day. Just another day, yeah. Okay, you want me to go to Manhattan? No problem. So they sent the car service for me, picked me up at my house at about 5.30, drove me into the firehouse. I was in uniform, went into the firehouse. I knew three or four of the firefighters there. We started our talk. So they had a host of the show there, uh, and it's live now. So how they were doing it, like you see, they'll, uh, and it's on my website. The actual original video is on my website. So the, the host and the hostesses, at the studio were live in Manhattan. And, you know, in between, they do the news, the weather, and they'll say, okay, we're going to break right now. We'll go to Ladder 3 on 13th and Broadway. Our host, Larry Hopp, is there with Joe Bonanno, on New York City Fireman. They're doing a pasta cook-off. So they do a five-minute segment. One right. was at 6.40 a.m. One was at 7.40 a.m. And the last one was about 8, I don't know, 8.15, something like that. Never knowing what was what was going on in the world. And then uh, they ended the segment. And, you know, we were coming down the pole and we were cooking in the kitchen. We were bringing stuff out to the street. He handed it to people. What do you think? Is this recipe better? Is this recipe better? You know, trying to do a whole New York thing with the host of the show. And he was, he was great, too. And then we uh, ended the segment. And the girl from the uh, publicity agency or Ronzoni, she said, Joe, listen, uh, they can't, the car service isn't local. They can't get here for about an hour. And the other firefighters in ladder three were like, hey, great, Joe, come back in the kitchen, we'll hang out, you know. And I said, yeah, all right, no problem. And then, I like I, Jeremy, I, like it was yesterday, all of a sudden the girl's cell phone rings, and she goes, Joe, listen, I got good news. There's another person from the car service right around the block. They can come and get you right now. And the other fire, no, no, Jed, take the other one. Stay, look at the weather. It's beautiful. You'll be sitting in traffic for an hour. I said, you know, I don't want to hold them up. I said, let me, you know what? Thanks. I'll just, uh, I'll just jump in the car and go with them. I got stuff to do at home. And I got in the car. I said, you know, hey, guys, have a safe tour. I got in the car. The car service pulled out. It was 8. Plane hit at first. Plane hit at 846. I think this was 843 or 4. Wow. And, yeah. And by the time I got in the car and get told the guy where I was going and we pulled out, plane hit the first tower, and the ladder three was responding right behind me. And we went, we went north. I went north to the Queens Midtown Tunnel. They made a left to go to the World Trade Center. Yeah, so I mean, I had heard, ladder three is right downtown, right? So I mean, yeah, yeah, thirteenth, thirteenth yeah. and Broadway. Yeah, thirteenth right. and Broadway. You can almost see it from there. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, and you've heard the name Patty Brown, of course. I had breakfast with him that morning. I had breakfast with him that morning because he was coming in for the day tour. That's the first time I even ever met him. You know, I said, hey, Ken Brown, how are you doing? And he goes, you know, yeah, yes. He said, are you from the uh, publicity unit? I go, no. I'm a Queen's fireman just cooking some pasta this morning, Cap. I'm just trying to, you know, so anyway. Right. Yeah, and then I got in, uh, I got to the Queen's with, you know, I, I I had heard, I have so many fire trucks, but it's Manhattan. You always hear sirens, always. Yeah. But it just seemed like an inordinate amount of uh, sirens. So I um, I, uh, I said to the car, I put the radio on for a second. And he puts the radio on, and, and he, it, it was just happening. He said, we interrupt this program. Apparently, a small plane uh, got lost coming out of somewhere and, and, and crashed into the World Trade Center. I'm like, all right. And then. I, I turn around and I could actually see between the buildings. I could see. I'm like small plane. That's a lot of smoke for a small plane. Yeah. And then a woman got on, and so we have a woman here that lives across from the World Trade Center. And she gets on and she says, "Listen, I I can see the impression of where the plane hit, and it looks like it takes up three to four floors." And I'm like, a small plane, three to four floors. Something didn't jive. Yeah. And then more and more fire trucks coming through, fire trucks coming through. And now, by the time I got to the Queens Midtown Tunnel, they were already saying. It was a commercial plane. We believe it might even be intentional. Went into the Queensman Town Tunnel, no radio, come out. Now they, I turn around, I look, I see the second plane exploding into the, I'm like, oh my God. I actually thought we were at war. I was waiting to see if 
you know, enemy plane. I'm like, what the heck's going on? And and I said, turn the car around and get him, get me back in there. So he turned the car around, but they're like, I'm sorry, badge or no badge, tunnels are closed. Nobody's going in the tunnel. So I said, all right, then take me back out at home. By the time I got home, the first tower was collapsing. And I, I remember collapsing into my landlord's arms crying. And I, I'm watching thousands of people die right this minute. Not to mention, I knew Ladder 3 was going to be dead. Anyway, my brother, uh, Michael, um, who was in Ladder 7, he had gotten a back injury, so he was out on a disability. He happened to be visiting New York at the time. I said, I said to him, I can't watch this on TV. I'm going in there. And he says, do you have any extra gear? And he said, yeah, I do. And I said, all right. He grabbed a couple of turnout coats, helmets, boots. Both got on the train and went into Manhattan. And uh, me and him came out of the, uh, Penn Station. As soon as we came up, and by then, Cops, policemen, yeah. firefighters from other cities are coming in like crazy. Some state, New York State troopers in a Humvee, fellas jump in, jumped in the back, got us as close as he could get us. And then we had a walk. And then as I'm walking, you know, I'm seeing upside down police cars burning. I'm like, wow, this is just unbelievable. Like, you just, you couldn't make a movie that disastrous. And anyway, we went in and did what we did looking. And actually, my brother and I found Ladder 3. It's actually in the World Trade Center Museum right now, that Ladder 3. Yes. Yep. And me and him would have wanted the first ones to find it. And when I saw the condition, I said, and then, you know, a fellow a firefighter that we, we both worked with, uh, Steve Treco, if he ever listens to this, he'll listen. He was a captain. He was a lieutenant at the time, I think. He uh, he showed me and him. He says, Joe, I got a missing list. But as you look through there, I go, missing doesn't mean missing. Missing means gone. And, you know. And then I don't want to expound too much on the story. We'll talk about some other time, maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, so then we just search, rescue, nobody to rescue, all the stories that you hear, and then seeing this one. And no, Joe, he's gone. No, he's gone. He's gone. It just the world knew. You knew everybody. Yeah. Everybody that went through that. So Did you um yeah. you worked side by side with your brother that day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we saw Building 7 collapse. We Yeah, the whole thing. And then, unfortunately, for all the firefighters, I felt so bad because what do we do? We run in, in danger to safety. There really wasn't that many people to save. Yeah, was, yeah. If you were in the collapse zone, you were gone. If you were outside of it, yeah, there was smoke and, you know, dirty. And, and But we, I was thinking we were going to be pulling out people left and right. Right. And there were in, in the collapse zone, there was, you were gone. So that was a lot to live with. And then, um, but, you know, where it went from there, we continued to do the runs only thing. They asked me if you'd still be, I go, yeah. And they tripled their donation to the Widow and Children's Fund. And well, that's then, what I was going to, I was going to ask you, right? Because you said you, you continued on. Um, and, and that, you know, you're, you're living two lives. I mean, if you will, on top of every, on top of your personal life, family, whatever, right? It's the firehouse. Now you're this quote unquote celebrity chef representing the FDNY and firehouse cuisine and so on. And so you're, you're busy, man, you're burning it at all ends. And then September 11th happens. And, you know, all of that goes out the window, obviously, because you're a firefighter and, and I'm sure that was the priority. Um, but what I'm getting at is, is you had some opportunity then to really raise some awareness about the fire service after September 11th with these different, programs you were involved with right yes and i you know i wanted it to be uh crystal clear to anybody like yes i was still getting called from and especially because after 9 11 fdny was like rock stars yeah due to that horrible event you know oh. and i didn't want any anybody to think that i came out of the woodwork after 9 11 and was taking advantages all these books and all this stuff happened before that had nothing to do with 9 11 right so, and I, I made that very clear when I write the TV, right? I said, listen, I was involved with this long before 9-11. And yeah. 9-11, my activities there makes it whatever, if you want to call it marketable, great. Uh, I'm not here to take advantage of that. If I can take advantage of it, it would be to help other firefighters. Sure. So I raised a bunch of money for a lot of children of a lot of three, families right. of children of a lot of three. Also a good friend of mine, Tom Gambino, raised some money for his family. He was from Rescue 4. Um, and then whatever I could do with any of these food companies that wanted to do that, I made sure yes. that they donated a, a portion of that. 
and then you know years later unfortunately his helmet's right up there my brother michael I, again i can't say because of 9-11 he it was very stressful for him it was stressful for everybody but he in july of 2012 he took his life mm. and that introduced me to and if you don't mind me mentioning it www.ffbha.org it's firefighter behavioral health alliance yes and that's jeff uh, dill and he's amazing. jeff dill's been on this program before i've had him on oh, oh okay so then yeah. yeah so i found him through a suicide survivors website i called him he was still working at the time and he said well you know i was hurting man after that that's to live with something like that you still live with it you live with it every day still have to live with it yeah yeah well he said come up to Valentine, we'll do a book signing thing. I said, Jeff, whatever you want. I just, you know, and he, he basically saved my life in many ways. You know, like, can like you, can you talk about that? Just, though, I mean, I don't want you to have to go all, all in, but I know it's very important to you. The and if you want, because if it helps, you know, if a firefighter hears me because of this, how much it hurt me and how bad it was, maybe he'll think twice about uh, doing it. And, and so, oh, Joe, I'll oh, be yeah. honest, that's that's kind of why I'm just asking, just poking a little bit more, because I know the reach we have. I know the messages that I get. I know the people that we've put in touch with, with uh, licensed professionals that could help. People are always seeking, looking, needing, and some people don't even know they need assistance until maybe they hear something like this and they recognize some patterns or something that is familiar to them. And if we can help just one guy through a podcast like this, just talking about experiences from another brother, you know, that means the world to me. And, uh, and so, you know, wherever you want to take that part of the conversation is, is solely up to you. Of course, it's your pain. It's your personal tragedy and pain, but I know it helps when we talk about it. So. Yeah. Well, I'm the survivor, not him. Right. He's gone, sadly. Now you left me with this, you know, and, and I think I did a radio thing with Jeff and I, I how I tried to reach an individual fire because I've been there a few times myself. I actually lost my mother in 1981 to a house fire. Wow. She was burned 60% third degree burns. She died in Nassau County Burn Center right in front of me and my brother. And he, he carried that along with his life. And we had some issues with my father, family issues and stuff like that. Not unlike stuff that happens to everybody else, but to make that final choice that he made, which is, it, it's inconceivable. And it, it, most of the time when you hear it, it's a well-respected person, a family man. He, how could he have manifested this idea in his head? Never saw it coming, right? We hear it all the time. We never thought that was the guy. That guy would, like, he's, he's the salt of the earth. He's the best guy in the round. Right. So how, how could we reach the, the, the people to know, uh, you know, he wrecked me, he wrecked his, his family, you know, and no firefighter wants to be disrespected. So do you want your legacy to be a legacy of disrespect? Like you left your wife, you left your daughter, you left your family, you left the firefighter friends all confused. Why? Because stuff was going on inside you that you couldn't. And the best way I think I could describe it and you'll understand this too, because it's really hard in the fire service, police, military, you know, anybody that's in those high profile, uniformed, can do type of a job, you're never going to hear, you know, they, they'll die before they say, I can't get that dog. I can't take that dog. Yeah. It's too hard for me. They'll die. They'll, they'll burn to death in the hallway before they say, I can take, I can't take that dog. Rather than have, you have three or four other firefighters behind you more than willing to say, okay, maybe you don't know how to take it. Maybe you don't have the strength and that's okay. You're okay. It's, you don't have the strength, physical strength I'm talking about, to take the door, right? You don't have the physical, but do, do you ever know of a firefighter? I don't care if he's hundred pounds or he's 280 and a bodybuilder. Do I don't think that you know of any firefighter that said in a smoky hallway, say, I can't take that door. It's just too much for me. I can't do it. Not going to do it. He'll die. He'll die. Rather than tap the guy on the shoulder and say, listen, you're a senior firefighter. You know a little bit more about me then this lock, yeah, step aside, let me do it. Because now he has to carry that back that I, I failed at what I was doing. So you'd rather die or take and act on your own life rather than say, I can't do it. You know, and that's, that's for anybody. And it has to do with drugs and alcohol and stuff. That's like one of the hardest things for 
an alcoholic to do is go to a meeting in front of a bunch of people and say, I'm an alcoholic, I can't stop. So they'd rather die of drinking than say, I can't stop. So among no. the fire service, that's my message. You, you The legacy that you're going to leave. And, and again, I don't know when his mind disconnected to say, it doesn't matter what my legacy is. I can't, he's not, was not that type of person to say, I don't care what this does to my friends and family. What I've learned from Jeff and reading is that the tunnel vision takes over and the only solution to what I'm doing goes to this now is just ending it. Yes, I know I have family. Yes, I know I have friends. Yes, I know I have firefighters that respect me, but they'll be okay because I, I'm not. And maybe even they're better off without me. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, and and to be honest too, like we've, we've, we've gone down this a lot with a lot of different professionals and people and I don't claim to know much about this i don't ever you know i i just i never want to come off as i know exactly what i'm talking about but the one thing that struck me in a conversation i had with a close friend was when it comes to something like that you don't understand the pain that the actual the, the individual is actually in they have a tremendous amount of pain within that they're dealing with and they often don't show that pain to everyone else around them because oftentimes they are the martyr. They are the strong ones. They are the ones that everybody says, I never saw it coming. I can't believe he did that. And it's because those people don't let their pain show. They're often there for everyone else. And yet they're not there for themselves. Nobody else is there for them or they feel that way. And they have some inner demons that are causing incredible pain. And I never thought of it that way until a friend of mine pointed that out to me because they had some experience with that. And they talk about their personal pain that they suffer and that pain can become too much and it overwhelms them. And that tunnel vision does kick in and it makes them believe that there is no way out. There's no way to come back from such pain that they're feeling. And it can be just trauma from all different things. It could be abuse, substance, whatever it is. But man, I'll tell you, you know, Joe, well, just talking about it, man, it's important. It's so important. Well, I think if, if I can put in the head, it's it's what you said, uh, the, the pain. And we all have it. We've had a breakup. We've had a yeah. financial situation yeah. go up. We failed at our job. You know, it's that they run, they, they, they personally eliminate the options. That's the problem. They, they, you always have options. Always. I don't care if you lose your house, you lose your money, your house burns to the ground. You, you know, there's a, you know, a silver cloud for every, uh, there's a silver lining to every cloud. And sometimes, you know, that's what he said after my brother took his life. Everybody, Jeff, even, you know, there's a silver. I go, can you give me, my brother took his life. He jumped off a bridge in Cleveland. And you're going to tell me there's a silver lining to this? Where's the silver lining? You know, and it takes you a while to even say, well, maybe he was in such pain. And, he, he, you know, you can almost never have a silver lining to that. But most of the other things in life, you know, and if you're not in the, in the crisis, and outside of it, and I see, I used to see that in the fire services and even with my friends, if you're outside the crisis, whatever that is, financial relationship, it's like, what's the big deal? Yeah. My wife left. So why? She was a pain in the neck anyway, yeah. you know, and yeah. you can and look, you laugh and you can laugh about it because you're outside, but you don't. And I sat with firefighters in the fire, in the kitchen. Oh, you don't understand. She was the love of my life. Was, I go, yeah, there'll be another one. No, there'll never be anybody at that moment. There are no other options. Yeah. And sometimes right. the, the, the switch goes off. Like you said, let's say you're trying to take a door and you you didn't get the door in time. And so God forbid somebody passed away in there. And you're like, oh, my God, I just failed at my job. Somebody died because of it. I'm a loser. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have this reputation for the rest of my life. And and that's, I think, where the, the fire service part of it, I guess if we could be more uh, amenable to other firefighters, is that. I actually did an article called Good Natured Kidding. I mean, I love the firehouse humor. I love it all like that. But you and I have both experienced it, and I'm sure, where it's like enough already. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, all right, this guy's got a big nose. He knows he's got a big nose, but every tour you have to hammer this guy. Ha and that's a, they use the word hammer. And, and sometimes it's okay. But, you know, I don't know who can give that class and like what's okay. We, we all know what's okay and what's not okay. You know, there's ball boxing and there's being an asshole. Yeah, and then and yeah. being but being that a hole sometimes gets to that person. Like, I mean, I, I worked with a guy in Ladder One Thirty Eight. The, the tour before, 
And he was, and you know, it's always a course as our house attracts big, beefy, strong, muscular type of testosterone laden. You know, it's so funny. When anybody ever talks to me at the fire service, they go, what was it like being a New York fireman? I go, you ever seen the movie Back to the Future? And they go, yeah. I go, remember the guy Biff, the bully? Yeah. I go, clone him about 8,000 times. Yeah, and, that's every, and that's every New York fireman. So you got a guy that's that size, and then you got a skinny guy. You know, you know he's never going to fight the guy. And this guy has to keep hammering him, hammering him, hammering him. Yeah. You know? And yeah. then that guy, I, I use this story because that guy lost it. The night before, he went into the into the uh, compartment of ladder 138. He got the roof saw out. While they were eating, he went into the kitchen. He started the roof saw, and he put it behind the guy's head at full tilt in the kitchen. And he said, you don't apologize. I'm going to drive this right into the backyard. And everybody was eating. They stopped what they were doing. They're like, oh, my God. But, why, but you know, why does somebody... Oh, man. I mean, I saw it unfolding as the... And listen, I like I could cut it up with the best of them. But I always said there's a limit. Yeah, there, absolutely. Absolutely. It, you know, listen, it comes to character. You got to know what the difference is and when when enough is enough. And um, I don't care how thick-skinned or tough you are. Somebody's harping on you continually on the same things all the time. It's just too much. It's It's enough. Enough. And they're, and they're basically saying, I'm going to break him. Yeah. And But yeah. unfortunately, you know, break him might mean he takes his life. Yeah. You know? And then I talked to a firefighter out in San Francisco who shot himself. Mm. And he lived. He didn't, he didn't, it, you know, for some reason, he put the gun under his chin and it went up, bounced off his skull and went out through the top of his head and he didn't die. And the other firefighter, and I talked to him about it. I go, what were you thinking when you did this? You lived. And he goes, the minute I did it, I regretted it. And then I couldn't believe how many firefighters came to visit me in the hospital and said to me, why did you do this? You know, what, why didn't you come and talk to us? Why didn't he goes, you know, I think I could, I knew that whoever was the worst of the worst, you know, came and said, well, you know, I, 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 I didn't know it bothered you that much. Well, how could you not know it bothers somebody that much? I mean, come on, you know, so, and listen, I've been the, ta- I've been the target of it myself, but I could take care of myself. So a lot of times I didn't pick on me as much as and I knew that I always knew yeah. that since I was you know yeah I was the 98 pound weakling that worked out and then you go back to the beach and you beat the bully up but I you know and that and that comes from that but I don't know why it does attract that type of personality yeah and I get it and I, I get listen I, I don't want to say oh well, let's have a dry and nobody laughs at anything and I get it but maybe other fighters just join, join in and say hey listen you know wants this guy well that's it I mean it's got to be a, it's got we, we got to be looking out for one another. And, and if, if, and if, and when it does go too far, we just need to rely on some of the other guys in the room to rein it back a little bit. You know, we, we need people to stand up for one another. I mean, ultimately, whether you like that, listen, we're, we're a brotherhood, we're a sisterhood, right? We're family, but there's personalities involved and there are going to be guys that don't like each other. And that's just a fact of life. And, you know, but doesn't mean that we can't do the job and still respect one another or work next, but beside one another, it doesn't mean that we all have to be, you know, uh, hunky dory, if you will, but there has to be a level of professionalism and respect for one another, regardless of if you care for each other or not, that's, you know, it's just human decency. Yeah, and an, an interesting twist on the firefighter personality that I've always found is usually that person that's being made fun of, the recipient, usually has some unbelievable talent that you don't even know about. Right. He might be an artist. He might be a woodcarver. He might be a, a singer. Uh, you know, so why don't you just, you know, share what he knowledge he has? He might not be the greatest firefighter. You know, and but he, as long as he's willing to learn, he might not be the strongest, he might not be the whatever, but he might be really talented on other end. Maybe at some other time in your life, he might be able to help you. Might be a good, healthy chef that comes from an Italian family, right? right? He might be. Yeah. yeah. I, I listen, guy, the ones that liked me, the ones that were jealous, but the ones that really liked me, and I hear from them, they, they were like, Joe, I, you know, I, I was out partying on Friday night. I came in to a night tour. I mean, I came in from the night before drunk out of my mind, not on duty, but hung over and he says, I'll never forget as long as I live. I went up in the bunk room, I was laying on the bunk and you brought me up a plate of chicken cut with Parmesan. Right, bingo. And Best friend that. for life, brother. Best friend yeah, for life. Yeah. Over that, so. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, for, for people that cook in general, 
yes, is the firehouse kitchen, but there's well, also your own kitchen. You know, you, you bring up a very good point, man. Food is a way of healing, right? When somebody's sick, we bring them food. When, when there's a death in the family, we bring food. If there's something going on, it's food. Because breaking bread with one another, sharing that experience is a powerful thing. Yes, very powerful. Make a meal for somebody is very powerful. I knew that. I mean, I knew that, and that when I got to the fire, so I just felt so, <laughs> I hate to use the word because it sounds so, you know, you feel so, when somebody makes a really nice meal, you feel nurtured and cared about yeah. it. You know. Yeah, it matters. I remember, the, I remember the show, The Galloping Gourmet. I used to watch it when I was ah, a kid. I loved it. So I didn't, I, we haven't even got into any of this, and we're, we're almost at an hour already, but we're going to go a little bit longer. But here's the thing, right? I am a, I'm a huge foodie guy. So like food television growing up, like Yang can cook. Like I watched that when I was like 12 years old, man. Like I loved cooking shows growing up. I absolutely wow. loved it. I love the cook. I don't cook as much as I used to only because I just have no time, but I love to cook. My wife and I and our kids, we, we enjoy good restaurants, finding good restaurants. We know what good food is and we value good food. Like, good cocktails, good food, good wine. Like these are all very important things to me and my family. Um, and, and we value that. That's a, that's a big part of our lives, man. So, and I love, and what I'd love to do is get you, um, I'd love to get you to my favorite place. I have a standing reservation the third Friday of every month uh, at Augustino's, which is an Italian restaurant in Hoboken, uh, New Jersey. Um, took me 15 years to get a standing reservation there. Eight tables in the place, one of the best Italian restaurants in the state of New Jersey. Um, wow. We've become like part family of of the restaurant there. So my wife and I bring a different couple with us every third Friday because we we enjoy sharing that experience with people. Like I'm a huge believer in in enjoying food and drink with people you care about or people you want to get to know. Because it's a fantastic way for people to kind of let their guard down, share some things together. We're pinching off the same appetizer plates. We're sharing a bottle of wine. We're breaking bread together. That that lets a lot of your barriers down. It, it allows for, I think, for me, a much better way to connect with people when we can do it around the table. I think it's important and very, very powerful. And so that's very important to me. So that's why when you when you reached out, I was like, yeah, man, let's do this because I want to talk about this. Um, I also think, too, like years ago, if my career had changed, I probably would have went down the chef route. You yeah, know, I think my services, you get a little both, but yeah. uh, chefs, a lot of hours, a lot of hard work. You did really you did you ever formalize any of your training? Perfect question. Perfect timing. Yeah. So after all the cookbook stuff started. Um, and then I was getting appearances all over. I did an appearance in Philadelphia. I'll never forget it. What inspired me. I was doing it. And this was before 9-11. I was doing an appearance in, uh, I was starting to get appearance things to do. Like I wasn't an A-lister. Like they got Bobby Flay and Rachel Ray and Emerald. They were all A-listers. But I was like a Z, a WXYZ, one of those listers. But there was still a call to do events, you know. So I did one in Philly. And there was some a lister went by. I don't know who it was, but they went by with his group of people, and I was doing my demo up there. And he and, and I was in a New York fireman uniform shirt, and I overheard the guy say when he went by, "See, you don't even have to know how to cook. All you need is uh, yeah. biceps and a, biceps and a uniform, and you could be a ouch." And it really it got to me, yeah. and then I said, "You know what? It's true. I had a book published without any professional training. So after nine eleven, and, and retiring." I said, let me go to culinary school. So I went to culinary school for like nine months. I did it. So when did Joe? Before. When did you retire? Just to, so I can put it in perspective. Just before nine eleven, my papers were all in. Oh, okay. So just okay. before nine eleven, yeah. Okay. So then I, I, my goal was to go to culinary school and get professional training, so that if I was getting called and maybe move up to a, a U, a, a, a W or a Q lister, not sure. quite an A. I was trying to move up the list, and how you do that is by getting a cooking show. So right. I was approached a few times to do it, but nobody was able to get it off the ground. Um, then I uh, I went on and I did a I published a children's story book, um, which you can see on Amazon if you want. I did a children's story book, a little fire service funny story, a children's book. And then with the 20 year anniversary of 9/11, I wanted to do another cookbook for the anniversary. I wanted to dedicate it to my father, 
dedicated to all firefighters that lost their lives and all the civilians that lost their lives and police officers. And I called it American Firehouse Cuisine. You can see it on Amazon. I have it if you and if you go to my website, you can get it, www.americanfirehousecuisine.com. I'll send you, I'll sign it and send it to you. Um, that's got all up-to-date recipes on it. Now that I've professionalized things a little bit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and actually where, where I'm at right now, this is a studio that I built in a warehouse in Florida. And so I'm trying to get this, uh, you know, years ago you had to have a, a, like a sponsors and a network and all that other stuff to get on TV. So now you have the ability to do that through YouTube. Yeah, of course. And launch your own, launch your own TV show and build up your subscribership and stuff like that. So that's what I'm hoping to do is to, and then I get to talk about Jeff Dill and WWF and PHA, be on shows like yours, spread that kind of word out there. And then, yeah, and I want to get, you know, firehouse kitchen feeling, which I tried to get recreate here, which I did pretty good. Well, I'm inv I'm inviting myself there. So we're, we're going to make this work. Yeah. I'd love to come down. You're going to cook for me or I'm going to cook with you and uh, we'll shoot an episode down there, man. No doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah. And then uh, I actually have a poll in the corner. If you go to the website, you can see that I toured the whole studio. <laughs> yeah. I saw so, your, I saw your walk around. I watched it. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, and you're going you're gonna to love this. I, I have, I have an overweight big mouth fireman on the couch over here. I love it. I can show you a picture of it. I, let me, yeah, I'll, I'll just show it real quick. Perfect. And and it, I'm going to have him hooked up to a uh, a little button that I can press, and he's going to throw his two cents in at every meal. And it's usually going to be like, which is what I used to always hear. So let's say you're making something, and I'm like, all right, today I'm going to saute a little. And you hit the button, and he goes, hey, saute this. Yeah, right. Typical yeah. Talk, you know? Yep, so absolutely. anyway, that's just a comical, little comic relief. That's but actually, cool. I, did, I did the first episode was a tour. The second episode was a 9-11 dedication to Ladder 3. And then uh, actually tonight, I'm going to be back in here tonight. I'm oh, good. The first episode where I'm actually going to really be doing cooking. Are you doing this live, or are you doing like post-production value? No, no, no I'm going to video it and then yeah. have it edited and then i'm gonna I, put it on the website and put it on youtube and yeah i'm making actually bread pudding good awesome is added, i'm making a bread pudding recipe tonight. right before and thanksgiving again, eventually, eventually if it gets some traction the show my goal is to have guests jeff dill is definitely going to be a guest yeah good good you know and then and like you said we're going to cook and talk and prepare meals together and then mention his organization and hopefully comes out okay and yeah, so that's my goal. And and again, I didn't want to make it a fine cooking show. I'm trying to appeal to the culinary community, which is a lot more people in the culinary community. I don't want to make it fire. So I said, I got to watch. I say it's not fire men anymore because there's certainly plenty of women in the fire service. Sure. So I try to keep, you know, stop using the word guy and, and make this too testosterone laden yeah, right? show. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, you certainly have with no pun intended, but there is a little bit of a pun here. The recipe for success, man. Like you're, you know, there's something about the firehouse kitchen and the food that comes out of it, but it's what that symbolizes, the togetherness, the the brotherhood, the sisterhood. There's just a lot there. And, um, you know, I wish you tremendous success with the show and, and what you've been able to build and do and draw attention to mental health and suicide prevention, as well as, you know, um, your career and, and who you are, man. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Thank you. Good. Joe, yeah, thanks totally for joining me, man. This was uh this was a fun conversation. I appreciate you very much. Yeah. Went a, a couple of different directions, but yeah, as long as you're not pole challenged, you're invited here to Florida. You come down the pole, and we'll we'll cook something special. But yeah, I'll let you know when we. Uh, I'm, I'm probably doing it tonight, the bread pudding one, and it'll be posted probably by the end of the weekend. Yeah, good. Well, that's fantastic, man. Good luck with it, and, uh, and that's, that's one of my best recipes. There you go. Starting off with a bang. Well, I love yep. it. Joe Bonanno, thank you very much for joining me on the show today, man. It was a pleasure to uh, to meet you yeah, and to uh, hear a little bit about your story. Thank you for sharing some of your stories with us today. I appreciate you. Yeah, great show, Jeremy. Thank you. And let's Good, man. To you too. Yeah, thanks. Hang out right here. I'm just going to sign off the podcast. I'm going to come right back to you, okay? Hang out one sec. Guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast, American Firehouse Cuisine. Joe Bonanno, the guy retired FDNY, cooking for the masses. He's got his new YouTube show, uh, American Firehouse Cuisine. Check it out at AmericanFirehouseCuisine.com. 
And uh, and you could read about his background and obviously see the future of what they're doing with the American Firehouse Cuisine. So take this conversation, like I say, at the end of every single podcast. Take this back to the firehouse and talk about it, because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.